Welcome to Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. Tonight, remember the taco truck. Taco trucks are one of the cultural pillars of Los Angeles, but new regulations require the trucks to move every hour or face $1,000 in fines and or six months in jail. To weigh in on the issue, Socalo convened a panel of writers, thinkers, and activists. Pulitzer Prize-winning food writer Jonathan Gold, Barry Glasner, author of The Gospel of Food, Miriam Torres, co-owner of Hermanas Torres Taco Truck, and Chris Rutherford, co-founder of SaveOurTacoTrucks.org, along with moderator C.T. Nguyen of ChowHound.com. They discuss the effect of legislation as well as the importance, future, and history of L.A.'s taco trucks. Recorded before a live audience at the Los Angeles Theater Center as part of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, here is C.T. Nguyen. Let's start with some audience participation. You're going to have to raise your hand and also shout and cheer for the audience listening at home. Who likes food here? <laughs> Who likes tacos? Who likes taco trucks? And, and I'm personally guaranteeing immunity for anyone who answers this. Who doesn't like taco trucks? That's what the crowd is. All right. I can't pretend to be an unbiased moderator here since I've said in print what my beliefs are. So let me get it on the table. I love taco trucks. I think they're one of the central pillars of Los Angeles life. And I think the new regulations are a cultural disaster. Attacking the trucks is like New York banning its hot dog stands or Memphis banning barbecue pits. It's funny because everyone's always talking about how Los Angeles is this urban disaster area because there's no vibrant sidewalk community. The taco trucks are the sidewalk community. They're the only place where I eat and I end up talking to nurses, garbage collectors, professors, cops, and homeless dudes who used to be published poets. An attack on taco trucks is an attack on all of us. All the eaters, especially the ones who are poor or pressed for time or working late shifts, but anyone who loves food and anyone who loves the variety of food experiences possible in this world. Now, there's a peculiar attitude which I think is behind some of this. A lot of people I know visit faraway countries and talk about how charming and delightful and wonderful all the street vendors are and what a lovely cultural experience it is to be able to walk down the street and buy some freshly grilled meat from a lady sitting on the sidewalk. The same people will come back to Los Angeles and call the taco trucks roach coaches and sneer at me for eating them. But it seems the same thing to me, and I don't understand the derision. When I came to the city for graduate school, I expected to hate Los Angeles. All the New Yorkers and all the San Franciscans said the same thing. This was a desolate cultural hellhole full of idiot actors and no real culture whatsoever. <laughs> and I thought the same thing for six months. And then I found Chauhan.com, uh, which is an online food discussion board. And I found Jonathan Gold's book, Counterintelligence, and these changed my life. Every time I'd read a description of something, handmade buckwheat soba noodles, Thai cotton candy fried catfish, Oaxacan mole stuffed tamales, I'd go chasing after it and find some brilliant new corner of Los Angeles. I found cities that are completely Chinese, shops lined with grandmothers hand-rolling tortillas and sopes, and Korean bars where everyone's actually happy to see you, even though you don't speak their language. I found communities, and it made me happy, and I feel like I traveled the world while earning slightly below the poverty line. Uh, the panelists I picked are not a setup for a debate. 
Uh, I could have invited the political leaders from each side, and we could have had a little festival of fists, but I don't want that. What I want to do today is to understand the taco truck, where it came from, why it's important, why some people love it, and why some people hate it, and what it means to our city. My first question is for Jonathan. A friend of mine who heard me doing this panel uh, reminded me that since she's from Minnesota, she has no idea what a taco truck is. Jonathan, could you tell me what a taco truck is, what the experience of eating at a taco truck is, and why it's different uh, from eating at a restaurant? A taco truck, Quaid taco truck, is obviously a uh, truck that sells tacos. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've all been to them, so I don't need to describe the physical specifics, but the uh, sort of aesthetics of going to a taco truck as opposed to going to a brick-and-mortar restaurant is the immediacy of the experience. A taco is less a noun than a verb because the speed of the, the meat grilling and the tortilla being toasted and the flavor of the hot corn and the coolness of the hot salsa and the sort of like sizzliness of the meat and it's like thrust to you on a paper plate and you eat it almost in the same motion that you're paying for it. And <laughs> there's, there, there's, there's an immediacy. It's, it's, there's an energy to the food. I guess what the people who are talking about Chinese food talk about is, you know, key. The um, food coming together in a single thing. And when you're sitting in a restaurant and the taco's ready and a waitress brings it over to your table, maybe five minutes after it's being made, maybe 30 seconds after it's been made, but the sort of evanescent thing that makes the taco such a powerful experience is already gone. It's like the difference between eating sushi at a sushi bar and eating sushi at one of the tables in a room at the back of the restaurant. You're getting the same fish, you're getting the same quality of stuff, but by the time it gets to you, the magic of it is gone. Next question, Miriam. What do you think the new regulations are gonna do to the taco truck businesses? As a co-owner to a taco truck, it's hard enough to come and set up and have the clients there waiting or have them rush. There's some medical doctors that stop at my catering truck and then they say, oh, I only have half an hour because I was with the patient and can you rush me my food? And it's a pleasure to do it and rush the food because they, have, they are helping someone else at their job. The new regulations are just gonna kind of have an obstacle towards what we try to do with the clients and the hour that they're giving, I mean, it's, I think everyone's heard it before, it's 15 minutes that we kind of open the doors and put the table and or put the chairs out. The other 15 minutes we have to wait for the oil to warm up or the pan to warm up. And then 15 minutes we serve the people and then we gotta tell the people, munch your food, hurry up, because we have to move a mile. If you wanna finish your food, come join us a mile away. So it's kind of hard for them to throw their food and stuff their mouth and walk half an hour if they want another taco. So, you know, if you guys want to eat calmly, I mean, an hour snack, 15 minutes for you guys to order and eat, it's not going to help at all. Taco trucks give their clients what they want. And we're not there just to make business. We're there to make friends because once... I know someone and I see them again. Oh, it's nice to see you. Nice to have you here again. Oh, look, I brought a new friend. And we get to meet different kinds of people. So this regulation won't let us communicate with our clientele. That's why it's more of a issue of 
helping our clients and being there for our clients than just rushing them and telling them, stuff it, eat it, and get out of here. <laughs> uh, how different are these from what's currently being enforced on the taco trucks? At this point where I'm at, there's two restaurants in front of us. Well, not in front of us. I'm like three blocks away, and they're enforcing it because they're calling and telling them that we're taking their clientele from them. And they come and tell us at 7, you have half an hour to an hour to move. If we come back, you're getting cited. So this happened last Sunday. We had a lot of people. It was 8 o'clock at night, and they tell us, you have five minutes to pick up. And the clients look at us like saying, do we really have to eat in five minutes? I think it's more of a tradition how food is served than being at a restaurant sitting there and waiting for your food to be taken to you or you picking it up from, from where it's at. If I, could, if I could jump in on that, I think there's a lot of reasons to get upset about this, these new laws, but I think one of the big ones is that the government is essentially, or the county in this case, is essentially taking away an option that people want. I think you, you, hit, you hit it perfectly, that if I want to go and sit down at a restaurant, I want pollo camparo, or I want to sit down and have be waited on and pay for that service, that's available to me. I'm not going to take my girlfriend to a taco truck for our anniversary if I ever want to have another anniversary again. <laughs> so, um, My I mean, girlfriend's I, in the audience right now, and she's actually <laughs> nodding to me that she'd like to go to a taco truck. <laughs> You're a lucky man. Marry her. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think the, the, the thing that I've equated this to in discussions with people is if keeping brick-and-mortar businesses free from competition was the litmus test that we used in making any decision, you would have banned, the county would have banned Netflix, the county would have banned iTunes because, well, that puts Blockbuster out, that puts Tower Records out of business. I mean, that's not necessarily a good thing that these companies go out of business, but they go out of business because the consumer wants, to, wants a different service. The taco truck is providing a... Is, is provided a business model and a service that people want, and I don't think it's the county's business to make those choices for us. Like you, I'm, I'm trained to take the counter position in, in, in any, any argument. So while I actually agree with this position, there's nobody here to argue the other one. <laughs> and, and I do think that there is a reasonable other argument, but not in the way that the law has been written. So we do, in fact, want to have a variety of options and not to minimize those options. So if, in fact, there is some kind of unfair competition going on in either direction from restaurants that don't move and restaurants that do move, those interests can be protected with reasonable legislation. And you know, I also want to say I think that the supervisors who are behind this probably had very good intentions. But the legislation came out kind of weird. And part of what I think is interesting about the weirdness of it is if you look at the argument, right, it is that it's unfair competition for restaurants that are stationary and have, are paying for the rent on the location and all that. But you know, how do the mega bookstores and the mega coffee shops do their thing? From what I understand, they establish themselves by moving across the street from so-called mom and pop or small operations, small you know, independent bookstores, of which there are now very few, independent coffee shops that are now coming back in recent years but were hurt very much initially. So if they can do it, then why can't the taco truck do it? So you know, it just seems to me, you know, while we're on the politics or the, the legislation of it, that there are probably ways to protect both interests in a kind of reasonable way 
but we, got, we, have, we don't have it yet. I agree with you. I've seen many mom-and-pop bookstores close down. They're almost all gone. And the day that almost all the standing restaurants in Los Angeles are gone and close their doors, right. and there's nothing left on the streets but fleets of taco trucks, then I will <laughs> stand up with you and say, protect the standing restaurants. But I don't see that yet. You're listening to Remember the Taco Truck, a panel on the joys, cultural history, and future of the taco truck in Los Angeles in light of recent restrictive legislation. This is Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. For information or to listen to past broadcasts, just click on our website, socalola.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A.org. We'll return in a moment. Stay tuned to Socalo Radio. A recent report authored by retired military leaders says global warming is a significant national security threat to the United States. I'm Larry Mantle. Next time on Air Talk, we'll look at the contentions of that report and what kind of response the U.S. might make. It's Air Talk, weekday mornings at 10, here on 89.3 KPCC. You already know how to get KPCC on your radio and your computer. Now you can get NPR and KPCC news on your cell phone or PDA. Go to kpcc.org to learn about NPR Mobile from KPCC. You can get hourly headlines, news stories, or hear the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me quiz, all whenever it's convenient for you. NPR and KPCC news, on air, online, and now on the phone, too. Thank you. Members like you helped us reach our drive goals last month and meet a $30,000 challenge. Thanks so much for your generous support. Listeners like you are KPCC's main source of funding so we can bring you the news you count on. If you're not a member yet or it's time for you to renew, contribute today to make sure we end this fiscal year well prepared for the months ahead. It's quick and easy to give online at kpcc.org and thanks again. Claudia Vasquez. This is Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. Now it's back to Remember the Taco Truck, a panel on the joys, cultural history, and future of the taco truck in Los Angeles in light of recent restrictive legislation, with Pulitzer Prize-winning food writer Jonathan Gold, Barry Glasner, author of The Gospel of Food, Miriam Torres, co-owner of Hermanas Torres Taco Truck, and Chris Rutherford, co-founder of SaveOurTacos.org, along with moderator C.T. Nguyen. Barry Glasner, why do people care about taco trucks? I can see some people saying, look, it's just food. I don't care where you get it from. So you get it from a restaurant, you get it from a taco truck. Why do people hate taco trucks, and why do people care about them? I mean, I think part of the answer we've already heard from Jonathan, um, because the food at the, at the best taco trucks is phenomenal and you can't get it anywhere else. I think on another level, there's sort of a variety of food cultures or what I call food gospels around. So, you know, there are people who uh, will only eat vegan food. There are people who, you know, will only eat at taco trucks. There are people who will worship at the temples of celebrity chefs. 
and we're very divided in many ways in that regard. And I haven't done this very well, but I've talked with people who are on the other side of this issue, as you put it. You know, they have their favorite places and they don't want to, uh, their favorite stationary place, uh, restaurants, and they're very faithful to them and to that style of restaurant. So, you know, I think within the larger kind of culture of LA eating, uh, taco trucks are a very particular, very important institution, and that's why people care very passionately about them. There's something in taco trucks, I think, that speaks to neighborhood also. When you ask somebody what their favorite pizza is, for example, the pizza is always going to be the best pizza within five minutes of their house. It's not going to be the one across town that may get great reviews somewhere. And I think it's the same thing with taco trucks. If, if you ask somebody what their, their favorite truck is, it's not going to be the truck that they went to in Escondido three years ago and had an incandescent fish taco. It's going <laughs> to be the place on the corner where they, they stop by after work, or they stop by on the way after a movie, or they stop by just because they're in a mood for a taco, and they see the people that they always see at the truck. And, and there's a community, there's a camaraderie. Even if you don't know people there, there's sort of the community of the taco because it's, it's after midnight and there's grease dripping down your hands and it's cold out and you're all eating tacos and you're happy. Another question is, why do people hate them? Because some people do seem to hate them. Uh, I polled people who were sitting around my office earlier today and some suggested explanations for why people are firmly against the taco truck besides a profit motive are racism, classism, anti-immigration stance, legitimate sanitation worries, insane sanitation worries. What do you think of these? I would say just lack of ever having eaten it one would probably be the number one reason. Um, we have, on our, on our petition, we've received uh, just under 10,000 signatures, and um, managing them, we have to read every one, because we do get the odd uh, sort of, you know, outrageous, outrageously racist comments, or, you know, sometimes a more well-thought-out disagreement, but seeing as, as it's a petition, and it was something originally that we were mailing off to the Board of Supervisors, we didn't really want it to be a debate so much as just a petition. And the big issues that we've seen has really been, well, I mean, I think I wouldn't push aside profit motive. I think, or, I think that is the number one reason that this has been pushed through the County Board of Supervisors. But as for an individual, I just, I would have to say just simply experience. I mean, health, some people have health reasons, but the common misconception is that these trucks don't have health regulations because they don't have a letter grade in their windows. And um, they have actually very stringent regulations. The meat has to be pre-cooked. I mean, I probably, I probably shouldn't speak to this since this is your line of work, but the health regulations, I understand, are actually pretty strict, right? There's sometimes where inspection comes and they don't tell you, oh, we're going to be there, like they sometimes do at a restaurant, you know? And I'm telling you this because I also worked at IHOP, and there was times where the manager was like, we have to clean and we have to have everything perfect because health department's going to be here next week. So he had us washing everything, and here it's not like that. Here they show up, and when you see a flash in a camera, it's because health inspection is there already behind you, looking at your clients, making sure that you're doing everything the right way. And even where we park the catering trucks to have them washed and everything, the commissary, they show up there also. 
they do it every six months, every three months, depending on how you were on your last evaluation and how you are now. I don't think they do this with a regular restaurant where they just show up and they check how the temperature is, your refrigerator. We cannot rush and say, oh, wash, wash whatever we have out here because they're here, they're behind us. We can't rush anything like that. So it is pretty hard working a catering truck, but it is so, I can tell you that it's comforting because I meet people, I give them what they want when they want it. Um, one accusation I've seen in a few places by people who are paranoid and anti-taco truck is this. In a standing restaurant, everyone has to wash their hands all the time, and they're worried about the lack of a presence of running water uh, to wash your hands on a taco truck. We have to have it, and it has to be at a perfect hot temperature and a perfect cold temperature where, I can't, where you cannot say, oh, they don't have it or they don't wash their hands, because if you don't have it, your catering truck will not pass for the health department. So we do have it there. We do offer it for the clients that show up and say, oh, I need water to wash my hands. And let me tell you a quick story. I parked behind my dad's catering truck. It's, it's a family-owned business. And the other day, this guy shows up. It was like three of them. And they tell me, oh, we need water to wash our hands. And I tell my sister, give me water because they, they're going to wash their hands. So they wash their hands, and they're all like, okay, we'll be back. They left and they went to go eat to my dad's catering truck. And I go, oh, so I wash your hands and then you go eat at my dad's? <laughs> they started laughing. So, and I told them, no, it's, you know, it's perfectly fine. Whatever you like, it's, you know, it's not competition. It's my dad. But, I mean, the water is there. I'm not going to deny them the water to wash their hands because I wash my hands all the time. And why would I say no? Or why would I say, oh, we don't have to have it? Because we do. It's something that the health department issues that you have to have. So it's always there. A, a taco truck's like an open kitchen. There's not that much you can hide. There's right. no space exactly. to. I think one of the things that's not being addressed in this is the cultural issue, I think, where there's been a lot of gentrification in Los Angeles, Los Angeles County, over the last um, 10 or 15 years. And there are neighborhoods that, I guess to put it bluntly, you know, affluent, not necessarily uh, Latino families are moving into that have traditionally been, uh, you know, Latino for many, many, many years. And gradually the amenities to appeal to these people show up, which is why you have, you know, wine bars in Echo Park. And, <laughs> And, and on York Avenue now. It's why you can find arugula in supermarkets in certain parts of East Los Angeles. And even with a lot of first and second and third generation Mexicans who have become, through, through hard work and application, have become affluent, and they have you know, you know, wonderful, beautiful homes, and they cook wonderful, beautiful food, and their streets are beautiful, and they go around the corner, and there's a catering truck there. And it doesn't quite fit into their self-image of themselves. And I think that's a source of a lot of the grumbling. I mean, you, you moved to, I, I know you grew up in San Diego, and you live in Highland, Highland Park. Park. a little different, yeah. And, <laughs> and you've become part of Highland Park, and Highland Park has become part of you. But there are a lot of people who, who live in Highland Park because 
there are some beautiful houses there, but don't necessarily want to be part of Highland Park. Yeah, I think, yeah, so I've, I've been accused of uh, what, gentro hipster, I think was the word that was used. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about the hipster part. I don't think that, I, I, qual I don't think that's accurate. But I guess I do have to sort of admit that I did, you know, trans, uh, transfer from the west side where I was renting, you know, an apartment for an ungodly amount of money. And I did grow up uh, further south in, down in San Diego. But Highland Park really appealed to me. I mean, beyond just the price, it was because it wasn't, the San Fernando Valley with just sort of your, um, just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the San Fernando Valley, but it's very standard. <laughs> I, I, lived in Burba I lived in Burbank for a year. You know, I, I have no problems, but I didn't want to live in Burbank. I wanted to live somewhere that had some, I guess, just maybe a different kind of character. So while there are aspects of Highland Park that I would like to see sort of move on, taco trucks, Chicano wall murals, I don't want to push those things out. I moved there for those reasons. Los Angeles has, a, I think, a very spotted history with pushing out people that are, that are thought to be undesirable in the name of progress. I mean, maybe the most famous example would be Chavez Ravine and Dodger Stadium. I mean, just displacing thousands of families to build a baseball stadium. And while this isn't nearly at the same level, I think it has a lot of the same elements at heart, which gets to the reason, another reason I think that people care so much about it, because there are issues of class involved. There are issues of race involved. Ostensibly, there are issues of immigration involved. I mean, there's, you want to pick a hot-button topic in the United States today, and there's some elements of that in this legislation. And I think what the county, what I would hope that they would be more careful about doing is making sure that in trying to make a neighborhood, you know, quote unquote, more livable, they don't push out the reason that you would want to be in that neighborhood. I mean, I don't need a Starbucks and a Pinkberry on three corners in my neighborhood. Like, I wouldn't mind it if there was a Pinkberry that I could drive to. I guess I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not against them, but I don't need. I don't need six of them. What would Los Angeles be without the taco trucks? I think Los Angeles would be a lot worse off without the taco trucks. I mean, I, what they bring to me, I guess I can only really answer that question personally, what they bring to me is this just a wonderful experience. It's social. You have people out on the street, like uh, was, mentioned, was mentioned earlier. Los Angeles, especially the areas in my neighborhood up in Northeast where these taco trucks park, I mean, they're in front of junkyards. They're in parking lots of self-car washes. They're in front of the Adelphia uh, building. They're not... Uh, you know, blocking people's view of the Malibu sunset from the Starbucks. I mean, it's just, it, that's, that's not the issue. They're putting, they're putting people on the street. They're getting people to interact. You're coming out and meeting your neighbors. I mean, Los Angeles can be such an isolated, alienating play, a place in a lot of ways where you, or at least I personally, drive a long way to work, where you don't necessarily get to interact with your neighbors as much in some other, you know, in certain other cities. It's a great way to get out talk to people, forced to interact. I get to practice my Spanish, which has gotten very, very good in terms of being able to order food. But then if they go off <laughs> script, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in big trouble. But um, the food is incredible. It's unlike, I mean, I thought I had good uh, Mexican food growing up, and it just doesn't compare. I travel in Mexico, and I miss the Mexican food in Los Angeles. So <laughs> I can't wait to get back. What about the made you willing to erect a website in Having, defense yeah. and make t-shirts and make slogans 
having no idea how much work it would turn into in the long run, I suppose. <laughs> um, you know, Aaron, my, my freshman year roommate from Occidental College, he's, he's in the crowd, and I have to give him credit. You, get, you, gave, me, you, told, you, you uh, gave me credit for the carne asada is not a crime. That was actually his idea. He approached me, or sent me an email with the uh, link to the Times article when the uh, ordinance was originally passed, and because we had both spent four years in Northeast at Occidental College, um, and that was the only place at that time to eat, none of those nice uh, restaurants that have sort of moved in in the, in the ensuing decade, none of those were around. There wasn't a place to get a cup of coffee outside of a greasy spoon. Um, so that was it. That was our culinary experience beyond the cafeteria. And uh, quite honestly, it was a wonderful one. We got to meet people from the community, see our fellow classmates, eat some wonderful food. I mean, it's, it's a uniquely Los Angeles experience. I've never been anywhere else. I mean, every, every major city has its street food, but Los Angeles, the taco trucks are unique unto themselves, I think. And I think one of the things that people aren't quite realizing is that one, taco trucks are beautiful because it's entry-level capitalism. Anybody, you know, people with a dream and a couple of thousand dollars can, like, figure out a way to do it. And because of that, you are seeing not just taco trucks that serve great al pastor and great taco trucks that serve you know, great carne asada, but you're having people from all different parts of Mexico. You have you know, some, wonder, uh, some wonderful Oaxacan trucks. You have uh, Sinaloa-style trucks in South Los Angeles. You have uh, trucks selling your beloved Samitas Poblanas. <laughs> and um, the, the actual variety of food is incredible. Not only, I think, is it, what do you call it, entry-level capitalism? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Um, <laughs> it's also kind of, you know, what do they call them, gateway drugs? It's kind of a gateway drug uh, to larger cultural experience. Um, I actually think this happens because a lot of people who aren't willing to try new foods and go to new places are coming out of a club at 2 in the morning, and there's the taco truck, <laughs> and they're hungry, and they have $3, and I'm not sure if... Any of you remember uh, what, what, it, what it was like to have your eyes opened if your eyes were closed? But there's something extremely important about making a new kind of cultural wonder available not in some remote corner of the Andes jungle where you only go if you really already know about it and care, but available outside the Avalon for a dollar. You're listening to Remember the Taco Truck, a panel on the joys, cultural history, and future of the taco truck in Los Angeles in light of recent restrictive legislation on Socolo Radio. On Tuesday, July 8th, Socolo presents Baby on Board, When Did Motherhood Become a Career and Is It a Professional Disaster? A conversation with Leslie Bennett and Meg Wolitzer, moderated by Megan Daum, Los Angeles Times columnist. In a lively and provocative discussion, these two writers, both mothers themselves, will talk about the complications and contradictions of having it all and the role that feminism does or doesn't play in the lives of contemporary women. On Monday, July 14th, Josh Kuhn speaks on the kidnapped country, violence, drugs, and the crisis of Mexican culture. L.A.-based writer and scholar Josh Kuhn visits Socalo to explore the current crisis in Mexico within the broader context of contemporary globalization, 
drawing on personal, cultural, and political sources. From testimonies of victims to local blog accounts to the drug ballads of popular songs. And on Sunday, July 27th, Sokolo travels to Shanghai, China with LA vs. Shanghai, who is the art capital of the Pacific Rim, moderated by Shin Yun Ma, director of the USC School of Architecture. Admission to these and all Sokolo events is free. Reservations are recommended. For more information or to hear past programs and lectures, just click on our website, sokolola.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A.org. We'll return in a moment to Remember the Taco Truck, a panel on the joys, cultural history, and future of the taco truck in Los Angeles in light of recent restrictive legislation. Stay tuned to Sokolo Radio. Weekdays on 89.3 KPCC. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. Good morning. I'm Steve Inske. From the studios of NPR West, this is Day to Day. I'm Alex Cohen. I'm Madeline Brand. Coming up, practicing. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Robert Siegel. This is Talk of the Nation. I'm Neil Conan in Washington. Morning Edition, Day to Day. All Things Considered. Talk of the Nation. More NPR News than anywhere else on 89.3 KPCC. Coming up next time on The World, in Yemen, the legal age of consent is 15, but tribal customs often trump the law. Some parents arrange for even younger children to marry. They're tempted by the prospect of a dowry. One 10-year-old girl has rejected her arranged marriage to a man in his 30s. She filed for divorce. Her story, next time on The World. Weekdays at noon on 89.3 KPCC. Antonio Villaraigosa has been here and there in Israel and on the campaign trail. He's presided over a same-sex marriage, and he's boosting a sales tax for more public transit. The mayor of L.A. pauses long enough to be here. I'm Pat Morrison, and one of the attorneys general fired in the Bush administration purge is talking about the political scandal that created a firestorm. It begins here Monday at 1 p.m. Thank you. Members like you helped us reach our drive goals last month and meet a $30,000 challenge. Thanks so much for your generous support. Listeners like you are KPCC's main source of funding so we can bring you the news you count on. If you're not a member yet or it's time for you to renew, contribute today to make sure we end this fiscal year well prepared for the months ahead. It's quick and easy to give online at kpcc.org and thanks again. I'm Claudia Vasquez. This is Socalo Radio, the honor home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. Now it's back to Remember the Taco Truck, a panel on the joys, cultural history, and future of the taco truck in Los Angeles in light of recent restrictive legislation with Pulitzer Prize-winning food writer Jonathan Gold, Barry Glasner, author of The Gospel of Food, Miriam Torres, co-owner of Hermanas Torres Taco Truck, and Chris Rutherford, co-founder of SaveOurTacoTrucks.org, along with moderator C.T. Nguyen. I think the taco truck experience is partially unique because you're outside. I mean, that's what I like about festivals, right? That's what I like about carnivals. You're walking down the street with a piece of food in your hand, and you're eating, and you're talking, and there's wind, and it's cold, but the food is warm, and you're just happy. And it's basically like a carnival on every street corner, really. Um, uh, I think it's time for the question and answer period.
Issa K. Mexen, and I live in Echo Park. And this issue to me is a subset of the much larger issue of the whole question of street vending. New York has 10,000 street vendors. Los Angeles has one legal vending district, Mama's Hot Tamales, and that's it. And I'm serious. And to me, this is a crisis here, which reflects really the, the contradiction between different uh, cultures. How do we surround these taco trucks to protest and protect them? when the, the, the ticket person comes and show the demonstration and support for the taco truck. You know, man the barricades and women the barricades. <laughs> <laughs> you can come onto our website and sign the petition, I guess might be the, <laughs> the good way to do it. And, and I, I, I would be very surprised if uh, Gloria Molina and the Board of Supervisors were expecting anything like this kind of outcry. I thought, I think they were expecting that it would just go away in a second, and it's not going to. Making your opinion known is important because the sense I get from doing some research is that a few members of the community have been very vocal about expressing their opinion that the taco trucks are a blight. That was actually the word used in, uh, by some of the speakers. A blight on the cultural landscape. Now, if people who are uh, in charge and perhaps out of touch believe that stuff, I, I can understand. I mean, it's ugly. We should clear it up. But if there's some way to express, uh, you held a Taco Libro night, right? We had a couple rallies that were, that were nice. I mean, if I could jump in, I think the reason that the politicians think that is, is quite frankly because the people that are politically sophisticated enough to have their ear are people who are members of the Whittier Boulevard Chamber of Commerce. They're members of restaurant associations. I mean, again, I, I don't want to speak for the taco trucks because that's, that, that's, not, that's not really who I am, but I would imagine that they don't have quite as sophisticated a lobbying group. So I think the best way to do it is to communicate your outrage to uh, whoever your representative is, quite frankly. I mean, that's at least the idea that Aaron and I came up with. It's, this issue, I think, is a lot bigger than just about catering trucks. Hi, my name is uh, Jesus Hermosillo, and um, I live in Boyle Heights. And I, my question is for you, for you, Medium. There is a bigger issue here of the crackdown on street vendors. Have you guys done much to talk to uh, street vendors? And Let me tell them? you, we started as street vendors. We were on Breed Street and, and Cesar Chavez. I was about eight years old when my parents used to take me over there and help make them help them because I was young and I had to learn. And we started like that. And when they started like becoming more aggressive with us, they told us, if you buy a catering truck, we'll leave you alone. And so my dad said, Okay, we have to save for a catering truck. So we went and we bought a catering truck. He bought his first. He helped my sister. Or So I can tell you it's just as hard for them than it is for us. But there's ways to get around for us to help them also. I'm not saying go tell them get a catering truck because I don't know how it's going to turn out for us. But there's really nothing we can do when they come and they show up and they throw your food away to, with the street vending. That's what I went through. They would throw the food away no matter. We would tell them, take them to the people on the street. Don't throw it away. They would do it in our face and throw it away anyways. So it's hard. It's tough for us, but it's more tough for them since I've already been in both sides. And I don't know what we can help them with, 
But if they come to us and they tell us that they need people to support, we're more than willing to do it. <clears throat> My name is Joe Guido. I just wanted to thank you for um, this panel. It's been really a pleasure listening to all of you. Um, my question is for Miriam also. It's a more of a logistical question. Um, so an hour clearly isn't enough time, but um, you know, from if you have to move from place to place, what would be a good, you know, way of compromising? Like, what would be maybe an appropriate length of time? And also, uh, can the trucks move with the oil hot, or does it have to cool down? Like, what do you have to do to like to shut down the truck to move to another location? That's the issue that we're fighting for because when the oil's boiling and you have things in there, you can't just shut it down and move out of the way and you know, tell the clients move because we're moving. I mean, I'm not telling you we need a specific time, eight, give us eight hours to park or give us three hours, but I can tell you that taco, the taco trucks start selling at six o'clock, probably till 10, 11 o'clock at night. And most of the restaurants close at 8 o'clock. None of them stay open. If you see Jack in the Box is open 24 hours um, drive through but the restaurant is not open. So there's really no time that I can tell you and be specific to you about, but I can tell you that one hour is not enough. See, I think that it, we need to think about this in a different way. I don't think it, it's the, that there's any amount of time that's really going to solve any real problems or issues here. You know, we need legislation that is going to protect reasonable interests. So, you know, if it, at least from what I've seen of the of the objections uh, to taco trucks that the supervisors were responding to, and it's obviously not popular in, in this crowd, but I think that you know they're trying to do a good thing in general. Um, they did it in a really lousy way. So, how can you do it in a good way? Um, figure out what the interests are that need to be protected. So you need to be protected, and that's not going to work by making it an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and 30 minutes. You need to be able to run your business and run it in a place where your customers can come and eat and, and so forth. So what are, the, uh, other, what are the other interests? Partly it's stationary restaurants. So some distance from competing restaurants might be something to discuss. The other issue that's been brought up in the press a lot is um, uh, complaints from neighbors about um, uh, gas noise and, and refuse and, and so forth around trucks. That's easily um, controlled with, with um, uh, inspections and, and the same sort of ordinances that apply to a lot of other businesses. So I, I just want to say it seems to me from a policy perspective that all of these interests could be protected with reasonable legislation. And I mean, I think that's what we should really be be going for and what the supervisors need to do. One piece of optimism, by the way, um, is that it seems to me, looking his, at recent history in the US and other places, anti-food legislation, when it's against, uh, when, it, when it's to stop food that, that from being sold that is popular, that is worth selling for various reasons, uh, doesn't last very long. It usually disappear. Chicago just learned this with a very different kind of food, uh, foie gras, um, uh, that they, they banned and then they quietly, I don't know if any of you realize that they just, that law is now gone. Um, and they just did it very quietly with, um, so, and th this, that, that tends to happen with this kind of legislation. So I think that over time there's cause for optimism, but, you know, I really think, you know, trying to fix it with X number of minutes <laughs> Isn't, isn't going to get at it. I can tell you they also said because it's public safety to be moving around, 
But is it more safe to stay in one spot or to move every half, an aisle, half a mile or one mile? Which one is more safety? More, which one would you call it public safety? You know, you, as, as residents, as audience, you guys think about what's more safe, to move around with the boiling oil or to stay in one spot and let it cool down and close down? Bernice Fong. And I'm wondering, is it inevitable that because the stationary businesses provide a tax base for the city, uh, does it just make inevitable that this is like the taco trucks or, you know, you may lose this, this fight? Well, the taco trucks, A, they pay taxes. They pay, they pay licenses. And it's, it's probably not as much in a total dollar value as the brick-and-mortar business was, but it's significant. I can tell you, we pay taxes every six months to, um, we just went to go get, renewed the permit at Norwalk, and for the certain amount of money that we make, we have to pay the taxes every six months. And there's other trucks that make more money, and they have to pay it every three, every four months, depending on, on how much they make. So it's not really an issue of who's paying more, or who's paying less, or who's paying taxes and who's not, because up on board, everything is the same. We're all paying money, we're all paying permits, we're all paying taxes, and I file for taxes every year and I have to pay back, so. And I know there was a very similar battle last year in the city of Salinas, and there was where taco trucks were banned without much consultation with anybody. And there, there was a big fight, and there was a big political battle, and actually you're Fellow Chowhound Melanie Wong had a lot to do with the, uh, the, um, the, the, the fight against the ordinance, and the, the taco trucks got put back on the streets of Salinas because the, the people who live in Salinas were just not willing to stand for it. it, it by the way, when you say it, it strikes me that the more broad the base of appreciation, the more obvious it is to people that it's an actually important thing. If only the taco truck union leaders and the taco truck owners are fighting for it, everyone can write it off as a profit motive. If people across Los Angeles, of every age group and every color, register dismay, then they're like, oh, you know, this, is, this is actual. My name is Osvaldo Velasquez. What kind of fear is it behind this legislation? I mean, what, what are people that are promoting this legislation afraid of? I mean, it, it would make more sense to me if they would promote legislation that would provide incentives to the restaurant owners to be more creative, to become more attractive uh, if they want to compete. I mean, because eventually it's the choice of the customer. And, you know, instead of promoting legislation to limit competition, why don't they promote legislation to become more creative and more competitive? Yeah, I think we've heard some of the, of the um, fears, even that those of us in the room, some of us who are all on this side of the argument, even inadvertently assume and harbor, right? That somehow they're not inspected as much, you know, it's not gonna be as healthy, that they don't pay taxes, right? So, you know, th there are these stereotypes about this kind of business um, that I think come from a lot of sources that have been discussed a lot earlier, so I won't, I won't repeat them, that play into this. And then from, from some businesses, obviously, there's a lot of fear about this kind of competition. And I think, you know, when you, stu when you, when you combine all of that, you've got a, a pretty potent mix. I, 
I mean, one thing I can imagine is if many people in the actual world think of taco trucks as a blight, as an ugliness that is a reminder of prop poverty, then when you have taco trucks around, uh, property values decrease. Now, I can see someone fighting for the property values, of them being afraid for that, uh, which makes me think that the real problem is actually the attitude that the taco trucks are a blight or a mm -hmm. sign of poverty. Good evening. First of all, great panel. Um, my name is Alex, and I'm a raging taco-holic. Um, <laughs> Couple of questions for the panel. What is the future of the taco truck? And uh, as a side note, I've actually been to the mecca of tacos in northern Mexico. Um, that's it for now. Well, we hope to stay in the community because, like he said, it's a cultural thing. It's a it's it's just our culture. Whether you're Hispanic, whether you're Guatemalan, whether you're white, whether you're black. I mean, I have black people, white people coming to the catering truck. Uh, my sister doesn't speak English, but she's like, Miriam, they want you in the window. So, you know, I mean, whether you speak Spanish or you don't speak Spanish, we're there and we're hoping that with your support and with everyone else's support here, we're going to stay where we are at and we're going to fight for what is right. My name is Mark Sussman. And my question for the panel is, where should I go for tacos later? Hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. One of my wait, very wait, wait, favorite wait, 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 ones wait. is outside tonight. Where's, where's Miriam's? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was about to come in and say that. I, mine is on 3rd Street and Breed, if you know. It's right by Soto Street and 4th Street. It, there's a couple of them around there. But my particular one is right in front of Breed Elementary School and another, and, uh, a church, a Nazareno church there. I'm not saying they're the best. I'm not saying I'm the only one that makes good food up in East LA. No, because coworkers are great cooks also. But you can come down and try them, see how you like them, and then I can refer you to a different one if you don't like them. <laughs> and they are awfully good. How are your dads? Um, <laughs> well, it's not competition, but he has some great um, tacos, they're called suadero tacos that he makes, and their um, tortas cubanas are the greatest. Everyone comes and eats them there. So I'm telling you, customers that were from El Gallo Hiro Tortas Cubanas, they're not going to Gallo Hiro anymore. So. <laughs> um, when I was a younger man, oh, okay, last year, uh, <laughs> I went through East LA and had 25 fish tacos over the course of a day. Um, the best one bent my mind in half, but even the worst one was far better than the average $50 meal in Santa Monica. So in many ways, you can't be that bad. <laughs>You've just heard Remember the Taco Truck, a panel on the joys, cultural history, and future of the taco truck in Los Angeles in light of recent restrictive legislation with Pulitzer Prize-winning food writer Jonathan Gold, Barry Glasner, author of The Gospel of Food, Miriam Torres, co-owner of Hermanas Torres Taco Truck, and Chris Rutherford, co-founder of SaveOurTacoTrucks.org, along with moderator C.T. Nguyen.
This is Socalo Radio, the honor home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. Socalo Radio is supported by a generous grant from the James Irvine Foundation and by the California Endowment. Catch us again next Sunday, or we'll see you at one of our free live events around town. For more information, go to SocaloLA.org. That's Z-O-C. A-L-O-L-A.org. The executive producer for Socalo Radio is Peter Stenshold. Douglas Gary is our engineer.